You know, I first encountered the gospel as a very young man, child really, uh, bowed my knees and accepted Christ as my Savior at the age of six and on the knees in our family room with my dad praying beside me and with me. And that was uh, the first time that I really remember understanding enough of the gospel that I wanted to, to put my faith in Christ. Uh, almost 60 years later now, from that point, not quite, almost 60 years later though, I, I can honestly say I am, I am more excited, even more excited about the gospel today than I've ever been in my whole life. And this book of Galatians has been such a great reminder of the glory and the joy and the freedom and the blessing that is found in the gospel. I mean, the gospel is so rich, it just, it, you never, like I say, for, no matter how long you know it, it's just, it just always keeps, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It just keeps coming back and refreshing your soul and delighting your heart. Well, the gospel itself is a liberating message. It's a liberating message. Jesus came to set captives free. Uh, He came to give you a way of living that can only be described by one word, freedom. That's amazing. It's amazing that the Christian life, the life that Jesus came to give you, can be summed up, certainly in other words, but it can be summed up in that one word, freedom. Liberty is at the very heart of the gospel. It's not a side issue. It's at the very core of the gospel. Uh, To not believe this, to not experience this freedom, is, is to miss the experience and the life that Jesus Christ himself died to give you. The problem is there are always voices either inside your own head or coming from various teachers or other people that will turn you away from this freedom toward a law-based kind of living. Now, the churches in Galatia, we're studying the book of Galatians. It's written to a group of people or churches that were in the region of Galatia. It was made up, the churches of Galatia were made up of a bunch of people who had been saved out of paganism. They were enjoying the favor of God as a pure gift received by faith. They had received the Holy Spirit by faith. They had experienced the miraculous gifts of the Spirit by faith. The Spirit of God was moving and working among them and through them, and they considered themselves greatly blessed. They were free until someone came and told them they weren't. People came into the churches and told them they needed to live by the law. They needed to add works and rituals to the work of Christ and the Spirit. And they brought with them this law-based or legal kind of mindset that you need to do this and this and this in order to be accepted or fully right with God. And as a result, they were in danger of losing their freedom in Christ. And all throughout this book, if you stayed with us, I mean, you, you, you might think, well, this is the same song, uh, 30th verse or something. But if you've, if you've been with us through this, I mean, Paul is just hammering home this message of freedom. He's using every possible argument from every possible angle to, to set these people free and to keep these people free. 
And in this chapter, he says, freedom itself is a precious thing. Freedom itself is a good enough reason to stay free. Uh, The ISV translates verse 1, the Messiah has set us free so that we may enjoy the benefits of freedom. I'm going to define freedom a little bit more clearly as we go along, but just, just let that land on you, as Josh would say. Let that, let that saturate your hearts and your mind. It was for freedom, the New American Standard says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. In other words, freedom itself is why Christ removed the yoke of the law from us. There's more to it, but he came to set you free simply so that you might be free indeed. Now, I'm going to try to help you get the feel for this just a bit. Uh, let's imagine that you had, had, been, had been sentenced to a lifetime of hard labor in a Siberian prison camp. I don't know if many of you have read stories about the Russian gulag or what, but that's, that's just an example that came to my mind. You're you're in prison. You're captive. Day after day, you're forced to go to work in freezing temperatures, doing back-breaking work in a mine or on a road crew, carrying heavy rocks. You work 18 hours a day. Your food rations are barely enough to keep you alive. You have no hope of escape, no hope of ever seeing your family again. And then let's also imagine that one day the prison authorities tell you You are released from the prison. The doors are open. You are free to go. You're completely free from this whole system. And everyone's hugging each other. Some people are singing. Some are dancing. And if someone asks you why you were so happy, what would your answer be? Because we are free. We are free from something that was a burden to us. We were free from something that shackled us. We were free from something that enslaved us or bound us. It's just plain wonderful to be free. And Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, Isaiah hears in, a, in, in, his, in his role as a prophet, he hears the, the Messiah say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in the coming role of the Messiah, in our sins, with our sins and under the law, we were viewed as slaves or captives, prisoners. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him to set us free, to proclaim liberty to us. The Messiah also says, Isaiah goes on, The Lord has anointed me to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So just stay with me for a minute. Let's say that you have the option of beauty, gladness, and praise, or of ashes Mourning and despair. Which do you want? Well, we're going to take we're going to take the crown of beauty. We're going to take the oil of gladness. We're going to we're going to take the mantle of praise. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? And why would we? Because there's something intrinsically valuable, something intrinsically 
pleasurable, something intrinsically that our hearts desire in their very deepest part for those things. These are the things that our hearts long for, that we desperately want. And we, we sense that these are the things that we were made for and that we're not really living without them. Well, the same is true for freedom. When Jesus said he proclaims liberty to captives, our first reaction is not, why would I want that? I think I'll choose captivity. No, we wouldn't say, well, what's so great about freedom? Or what would I, what would I do with liberty? Although that has to be asked at some point. No, our response is just to thank God that we're free. Thank God we're free at last. And even if we don't fully understand the ramifications, which we are going to talk about, but even if we don't fully understand the ramifications, we know intuitively that to be free or that freedom is precious. It's something that we long for and we know that we're not really living unless we are free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So don't ever forget it. Freedom itself is such a basic heart cry, such a need in your soul that just to be free is a blessing sufficient in itself. And then, not to dwell too long on this first verse, but who set us free? Who set us free? Jesus Christ set us free. Christ purchased your freedom with his own blood. And he says to you, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to live as a free person. I want you to live out from under the law of performance and self-effort and establishing your own righteousness. I want to be your righteousness for you. I want to lift off of you the yoke and the burden and the shame and the guilt and the sense of failure and all that goes with living under the yoke of the law. So, Jesus Christ does not want you to take on some religious system or some set of rituals or live some kind of life that, that will, in your own works or your own efforts, somehow gain God's approval. You know, Acts 38, 13, 38, 9 puts it so beautifully. It says, Therefore, let it be known to you that through Him, through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through Him... Everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So Christ's purpose is that you would live as a free man or woman. And if you know someone loved you, let's say this is an example, someone loved you and bought you a new car and, and you took that car and you parked it in your driveway or in your garage and you never ever took it out and drove it. I mean, what would they think? I mean, they might even say to you, you know, I bought that car for you to drive, to go places, to be free to use it. I didn't buy it for you to sit in your garage and gather cobwebs. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It's his purpose. And I think it's hard for some of us to get our minds around that. I think we've been, some of us have been brought up in such a, such a religious, sort of a, a legal, legally religious bound way of thinking that we, that we can hardly even grasp that Jesus would want us to be free. We have a hard time accepting that. Well, what is this liberty? Of course, it is not the liberty to sin. Sin itself is, an, is a tremendous slavery. 
sin itself is a, a bondage every bit as great as the law. This liberty is a freedom from the condemnation for our sins. It's a freedom from wrath and hell and judgment. It is a liberty from the crushing weight of trying to qualify yourself to gain acceptance with God. It is, it is to feel free because the yoke of working for righteousness is lifted off of you. And you can breathe. You can heave a sigh of relief. John Stott defines this freedom as the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ. This, this freedom, it's, it's just this place where you're com- you feel completely free in God's presence because you know that his arms and his heart are completely open to you. When you come to him, you're not worried that he's going to kick you or shame you or condemn you. You know that when you come to him through Christ, that his arms and his heart are completely open to you. So it's, and that's freedom. That's, that's real freedom. And you know that you, can have, that you have access to God. You have complete free access to God through Christ. We have complete free immediate access to God anytime, any place, in any situation through Christ. He, the scriptures tell us, He brought us to God. He died to bring you to God. We are, Ephesians says that, that we are brought to God through his blood. That's what brings you to God. We don't work our way to God. And, and be care- listen, listen to me carefully. We don't, we don't sing our way to God. We don't worship our way to God. We don't fast and pray our way to God. We don't read or study our way to God. Christ himself opened the new and living way to God through his blood. And we sing and pray and worship because we have this complete acceptance and access to God through Christ. And I honestly think that's why some people don't, don't enjoy worship. They, they're, they're thinking, I, you know, I've, I've got to worship in such a certain way or such a way and somehow get to this certain place or something instead of just realizing that Jesus already brought them there and they're just free to sing his praises forever and to worship him and to be excited about relationship with him. Luther put it this way. This liberty is liberty in the conscience. Our conscience is free and quiet because it no longer has to fear the wrath of God. This is real liberty compared with every other kind of liberty. It is not worth mentioning. Let me repeat that. This is real liberty compared with which every other kind of liberty is not worth mentioning. Who can adequately express the happiness and blessing that comes to a person when he has the heart assurance that God will never more be angry with him, but will forevermore be merciful to him for Christ's sake? This is indeed a marvelous liberty to have the sovereign God for our friend and father who will defend and maintain and save us in this life and in the life to come. I mean, that's freedom. And it was for this freedom that Christ set us free. 
And he didn't, he didn't die for, for this just to remain sort of a theological truth, sort of a doctrinal truth to which we could say, yeah, I agree with that. No, he, he meant it for you, to, for you to know it, for you to experience it, for you to feel it, for it to affect your mind, heart, emotions, maybe even your body. You know, I mean, I, mean, I think it just totally affects our whole being when we know how free that we are in Christ. But there's even more to this liberty. It is, it is liberty to live for Christ. It is liberty to live for Jesus without the rules of the law or man-made rules to keep you in line. It says we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We are now under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. It, it, is, the, it is a liberty that comes from faith in the working of God's Spirit in you to produce the practical righteousness you need for daily living. So we are free from the law or laws as a rule of life or as a way of life. We're, we are living now under a higher principle. We're still living for God, but we're living for God under a, in, a, in a higher way, a better way. The guidance of the Spirit who empowers you to obey and moves you from your heart into the ways of life that please God and your Savior Jesus. And you know what? You are never, never really free if you're always trying to do something you really don't want to do and that you are not really capable of doing. I mean, that is real, that's real slavery when you've got this, like, like this external demand out here that you need to perform like this. And you say, yeah, I know I need to, but I don't really want to and I'm not really able to. That, that's, a, that's a real form, form of, of, of slavery. So a big part of our liberty that we have in Christ is the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts, which puts us, for the first time, puts us in sync with God's heart, empowering us to love the, thing that, the things that God loves, hate the things that He hates, and to, to love God, to love other people, and to live for Him. And that's a, that's a product that comes from the, the Holy Spirit being put or poured out, put into our hearts, or poured out into our hearts. Now, the rest of verse 1 says, it starts out, "It, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Too often, like the Galatians, we let, okay, we let, don't blame it on somebody else, you let, I let, we let, some form of law-based thinking bring us back under the yoke of slavery and what's supposed to be a life of freedom, what's supposed to be a life of glorying in the cross and glorying in the gospel and rejoicing in the Lord begins to feel like we have this heavy yoke around our neck. And it's because we let that yoke be put back upon us. And it comes from this this whole concept, this the concept of the law, of performing or doing the works of the law in order to achieve the status of justification or acceptance with God. So even though God's law is holy and good, and we've talked we've talked about this, yet yet because it is. It is not the way that God has called us to live now in Christ through the, whole, through the Spirit. 
the, the law, the, the, we are to move on to what, 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 what we've been brought in Christ. The law called for a way of living that was not free, and it was described as a yoke or a burden. Uh, a, a Bible teacher that I've really enjoyed by the name of Jack Arnold said, the law sets forth rules and regulations in such a way that it confines men in the area of freedom, of choice, and self-determination. The law puts a man in a straitjacket, cramping his experience, hindering his actions, and keeping him from experiencing the leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And law-based living and, and spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered living just are contrary to each other. You can't do both at the same time. Christ brought in this new way of living before God in freedom, led by the working and willing of the Holy Spirit inside you. And, you know, a, an old, uh, old guy named Theodore Apt, he's died a long time ago, but he used to be on the Back to the Bible broadcast. And uh, he wrote a fantastic commentary on the book of Galatians called Spirit and Flesh and Conflict. And he, he said in there so clearly... The new life that you have in Christ was not made to live under law. As a new creation, you are meant to live as a free person. (laughs) So Paul says, don't let anyone burden you down again with the yoke of the law. Don't Don't let anyone ever put that harness of slavery on you again. And the reason that you are that you need to stand firm is because there will be pressure to abandon your liberty. In Christ, and it is to be defended. You know, to stand against something means to imply that it takes some effort, some determination. Uh, when that voice of legalism comes into your mind through your own thoughts or through the voice of another well-meaning person, you've just you just got to say, "Hey, I've been there, I've done that, and I will not submit again to the yoke of slavery." But in fact, this passage goes much further than just an encouragement to stand firm in your liberty. Uh, Verse 2, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. So Paul is not, in this passage, he's he's not just telling us, you know, guys, it, it would really be a good idea for you to live in this freedom. He's not just saying, you know, this would be a better way, better choice for you. He's saying it is life-threatening if you don't. So now, liberty in Christ, your liberty in Christ becomes, becomes serious. It becomes the serious business of your life. I've, I've always loved how C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Okay, well, we could say liberty or freedom is the serious business of this life. It's it's important that you learn to walk in this in this liberty that Christ purchased for you. If you put your faith in your works or your law keeping or your religious duties to qualify you with God, then the perfect standing that Christ offers you won't help you one bit. Christ can't remove your sins as far as the east is from the west if you're trusting in something else to do that. Christ can't make you whole again if you're trusting somebody else to do that. 
And that's a strong statement. It's a, it's a very strong statement. And it's troubling. And you know what? It's meant, it's meant to trouble you. It's meant to scare you away from the, from the law and law-based living. We ought, to, we ought to tremble lest we place any trust in something we do or perform to justify us with God. You know, the people in these churches thought that uh, circumcision would gain them the blessing of God. And they, they just failed to see or they, their eyes got taken off the fact that Christ had gained for them all the blessing of God, the total blessing of God. And you need to just get firmly fixed in your heart that Christ has gained for you the blessing of God in such a complete way that nothing you can do can add one ounce of blessing to it. And to seek to gain God's acceptance by adding anything to the completeness of Christ's gift is to discredit Christ. And just in case we miss that point, Paul says again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. I mean, the point is, if you place value in some work of yours to make you right with God, then you have to fulfill every detail, every command, every ritual with perfect obedience. You know, when, when it comes to law-based living, uh, people always want to, to pick out one or two or three things that they think will really give them this better status with God whether it's keeping the Sabbath or keeping one or two of the Ten Commandments in an external way, keeping some other religious uh, duty or sacrament. And Paul says if you go in for legalistic living, you have to go in for the whole thing. You don't have one or two or five or ten things you need to do. You've got hundreds, maybe thousands of things that you have to do, and you have to do them perfectly. It's either that or cast yourself completely on Christ and trust Him to be your righteousness, acceptance with God. Verse 4, those of you who are trying to be justified by the law have been cut off from the Messiah. You have fallen away from grace. Every one of these warnings gets more and more serious. I mean, there is a point where people trust so substantially in their works that Paul says they are cut off from the Messiah. They won't experience the benefits of the Messiah. You have fallen from grace. They will not experience the grace of of the Messiah. You know, to fall from grace does not mean the same as same thing as falling into sin. And some people read this verse and they 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 fear if oh, if I if I sinned or I I said something I shouldn't shouldn't have, I did something, I went somewhere I shouldn't have whatever, I I'm very conscious of, of that I fell into sin. They think, well, I've fallen away from grace, I'm cut off from the Messiah. That's not what this is talking about. To falling away from grace does not mean the same thing as falling into sin. It means falling away from grace as a means of relating to God. It means to move on to something other than grace. It means to move away from grace, to be separated, to separate yourself from grace. You know, a person might be a very moral person, living a very clean life and keeping very high religious standards and yet have fallen away from grace, not be living in grace at all. Then verse 5 says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Uh, Kenneth Wiest, well-known 
he has a translation of the Bible called the Dewey's Translation, a uh, well-known commentator. He said this about this, this verse, where we eagerly await, uh, through the Spirit, we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. He said the word eagerly wait speaks of an attitude of intense yearning and an in- eager waiting for something. Here it refers to the believer's intense desire for and eager expectation of a practical righteousness which will be constantly produced in his life by the Holy Spirit as he yields himself to him. Now, I believe there's probably also a sense in this verse that we also know that someday there's going to be the sense with through the work of the, the Holy Spirit we're going to be absolutely perfect, pure, righteous forever without the presence of sin in any way, shape, or form in or around our lives. But I like what he's pointing out here too, but that starts right now. We, through the Spirit, we are looking by faith for this righteousness. We want to be righteous people. We want to be pleasing to God. We want to live for God. And we do that through the Spirit. We eagerly await for this by faith. Uh, Jack Arnold, who I quoted earlier, said, In this verse, Paul gives the first mention of a new kind of life the Christian is to live, not by law, but by faith and through the Holy Spirit. This is the life of liberty in Christ Jesus. The righteousness in this context refers to to experiential righteousness in one's life after conversion to Christ. This is the practical righteousness that one hopes for as he is dependent on, on the Holy Spirit in his daily life. And I love this next sentence. Please, please catch this. The true believer is constantly and continually looking for this righteousness to flow from his life through faith in the Holy Spirit. Every Christian should have an intense desire for and an eager expectation of practical righteousness which will be produced in the life as he yields to the Holy Spirit in his daily life. hope that wasn't too long a quote, but I'm not sure I could have said it much better than that. If you want to live for God, I'll put it, this, this is how, how I'll put it in my words, okay? <laughs> if you want to live for God, don't turn back to the law or to laws. Go learn what a relationship with the Holy Spirit is all about. Walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. If you want to please God, Learn what it's like to eagerly wait by faith through the Holy Spirit for this righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So Paul says these rituals, the external uh, religious duties of the law... They count for nothing, they mean nothing, they add nothing. And you know, this is something that Paul continually had to remind the churches of. In in 1 Corinthians 8, 8, he said, Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do eat. And and so the the idea is that these are are things that that don't matter. So like circumcision or vegetarianism... uh, eating, not eating meat, drinking, not drinking, all these, or any external practice itself is fine as long as you do not attach any spiritual meaning to it. If you think that it will give you special standing with God, then that's a problem. 
okay? But the core for us, the, the core matter for us, when we walk in liberty in Christ, when our eyes are on Jesus, when our confidence and we are boasting in the cross and all that he accomplished for us in the cross, when our trust is in the Holy Spirit working, poured out into our hearts and working in us to produce lives that are pleasing to God, then we intuitively understand that all these other peripheral matters, circumcision, not circumcision, they don't really matter. We, we understand that what matters is faith expressing itself by love. Faith expressing itself by love or expressing itself through love or faith that works by love, that is what matters. And I, I'm, I'm telling you this, uh, freedom in Christ gives us this single laser focus on love. And when you start losing your freedom in Christ, you're going to lose your laser focus on love. Those who become enamored with a more legalistic form of Christian, Christianity always miss this. Uh, Jack Deere, who we heard at a conference recently, said, he said, I've known people who never missed a quiet time, but who were meaner than a junkyard dog. How does that happen? Because it's about the performance, not about the spirit. The law distracts people from love. They're worried about keeping up their duties and whether you are keeping up your duties. And love becomes choked out of their lives. But faith in Christ and in the Holy Spirit results in the love of God being poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. That's what it says in Romans 5, justifying faith. When we have a faith in Christ, when we're united to Christ by a faith, a faith that justifies us, then the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. And then that love is poured out of our hearts to others. And that's the main thing about us. We're living in this complete freedom. This, we're walking in liberty. And we're walking by faith, not by our own works. We're trusting in Jesus. We're trusting in the Holy Spirit. Our eyes are off of ourselves and onto Christ and onto the Spirit. God's love is poured out into our hearts. It's working on our hearts. We're filled with the love of God, delighted by it. And then that becomes what we channel or what we, what we give out, what we express to others. We, so we just, our life becomes, as Paul said, living by faith and expressing love. I mean, if you want to know what the Christian life is, there it is right there. Living by faith, expressing love, expressing this amazing, radical, even uh, crazy love of God. Love that goes beyond what, what people deserve, goes beyond what people should be given. And it just becomes something that we that flows out of our hearts. We 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 give we show people this agape, this unconditional, amazing, radical, crazy love of God. That's what our lives become all about. So, but what is it? What is it that makes us free and keeps us free? And I've talked about this earlier in the book of Galatians, and we'll talk about it as we go through it. But. There, there's, there's two things that we have to focus on that keep us, that keep us free. And 
It's, it's the cross and it's the Spirit, okay? Trusting completely in what Christ did for you on the cross, enough that it will make you right forever with God, enough that it will make you acceptable to God forever, and then trusting in the Spirit sent into your heart to lead you in the daily practice of righteous living. So the Christian life is all about the cross and the Spirit. And if it's about that, then you know what? You're going to be a person who's just pouring forth love. You're going to be a person that's walking in freedom and loving people. But when you keep keeping your eyes on the cross and the Spirit, not anything else, that's what will keep you free. That's what will keep the Christian life fun. That's what will keep you enjoying the Lord. And that's, that's what will keep you walking and living in love and, and showing an amazing degree of love to the pe- people around you. Let's pray.